values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Reminds me of Courtney Cox. Remember the video? Did you see the video? Yeah, right, Jeff? Am I right? Courtney Cox, absolutely. Yeah, he pulls her up on stage, and it was the ultimate 80s video. She's wearing Reebok sneakers. I mean, it was the ultimate 80s video. I didn't know she was wearing Reeboks. Yeah. You're more observant on these things than I am. I'm just, I was an 80s kid, so it was just so typical. And she had really short hair then. Yeah, she did. Yeah. So, anyway, a little walk down musical memory lane like we like to do. Uh, coming up this hour of the show, uh, we're going to talk about crime in America. I'm going to start with the KC shooting. Did you hear this happens at 1120? That's when we catch you up on the big headlines. If you're driving around, we'll catch you up on the biggest stories of the day. And 1135, we'll shift back to the economy before we close it out. But the... Um, Two adults have now been charged with murder in Kansas City, and it turns out that these are the two guys that shot each other, too. So they had a beef. So I don't know what happened if they were. And I don't know this yet. Maybe some of you do. I haven't seen the updated stories of whether or not this was a longstanding beef between two guys that ran into each other there. Or if something happened and they got into an argument there that turned into one guy pulling a gun and the other guy pulling a gun and shots ring out. And then all of a sudden you've got people dead or a person dead and people injured all over the place. Um, a ridiculous Ridiculous behavior. Uh, just an absolute message needs to be sent. There have been a couple of juveniles that have been arrested for gun crimes. We don't know the extent of their involvement or what's going to happen with them. But in the end, it's about what we do as a society with people that believe that they can just do anything. I, you know, one of the things that I, I spend my time, I get caught up in that vortex. I don't have TikTok. I don't, I just don't. It's not a political thing. It's just, I don't have TikTok. I'm too old for TikTok. I have Instagram, which I enjoy Instagram, and I get stuck watching those videos. And a lot of times TikTok videos get shared on the reels, and, and I watch those videos a lot. And one of the things, when you start watching one and you stay watching it, for a while, the algorithms, you get more like that. And the the Karen videos of people that believe that they can just treat people horribly and say whatever they want and do whatever they want and scream. And they're on video of, of behaving like complete morons. Um, society at one point, as I, I talk about the pendulum, society at one point figures out we're not going to take this anymore. You know, we watched the horrible treatment of police officers, and if you've not seen it, this is where I'm going with this story. It does, This is about murder and, and violence, but it's about police presence. It's about police uh, necessity. I have been, and one of the privileges I've had is to, to have friends in police agencies around the valley. And I've had the privilege of doing multiple ride-alongs where I've gotten to know some of the people. And I'm certainly not saying I'm an insider with the police, but I've gotten to see them and how they're treated by the public. And we all make the mistake of believing that we are an example of how people behave. Um, when I get pulled over, especially if it's at night, 
All of my windows go down. I turn the dome light on if it's dark so the officer or trooper or deputy can see inside my vehicle. I put my hands either on the door frame so they can see them as they approach the vehicle or on my steering wheel. I don't reach for anything until they tell me they want to see it, and then I tell them where I'm reaching. I'm not obligated to inform them I have a firearm in the vehicle, but I always do. I tell them where it is. I offer to hand it to them or let them take it themselves. I want them to understand that they're safe with me. That's what I do. And we assume everybody acts that way. People treat cops horribly. They say horrible things. They're immensely disrespectful and uncooperative. And then the expectation is that that police officer is going to maintain a demeanor of professionalism. And the minute that that cop does something or says something that they deem unprofessional, they want that cop held accountable for their behavior. So without video, without body camera videos, you don't get to see the setup. You find out this cop pulled me over and then put me in handcuffs because my registration was expired. No, that cop put you in handcuffs because you threatened him or her or whatever. My point is the pendulum is swinging the other way. I don't think the pendulum is swung away from the majority of people respecting the job that law enforcement does. I think the pendulum is swinging with municipalities realizing that their jobs are dependent on an electorate that will reelect them. And when you have crime go through the roof in your city, you get blamed. When you don't have enough police officers to police your city, you get blamed because you're the elected official. And so now they're starting to see that we need the police department, that this idea that we're going to defund the police is not a good one for us. In Oregon, Oregon and the decriminalization of drugs, they're turning their back on that law and saying it wasn't the utopia we were promised. The open streets of drug use and overdoses and mess that is in the streets in Oregon is not what they anticipated they were going to get by decriminalizing drugs. Sounded like a great idea. But when you look at Austin, Texas, that don't have, that doesn't have enough officers to patrol parts of the city, which means parts of the city of Austin, Texas, don't have officers on patrol. You're, you're fending for yourself. I, I don't mind fending for myself. I don't want to, but I can. I'm not worried. If something happens, I still feel capable of defending myself if need be. I don't want to. Yeah, two towns in Minnesota getting rid of their police department, uh, the state of Louisiana declaring a state of emergency because they don't have enough cops in that state. And there's plenty of cops looking over their shoulder that have left the profession that say, why would I go back? Why would I go back? Why am I going to put myself in a scenario where someone that's committing a crime or doing something wrong and I go to interact with them and the next thing you know, I'm standing and I'm defending myself and every word I said and everything I did, it's not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it anymore. When you talk about people that have to pass a background check, a credit check, a mental health evaluation, they, most of the time you have to be at a certain education level or experience level to get a job. When you fit the criteria of what it takes just to be able to continue the process to be a police officer, there's a lot of options out there for you that you don't have to deal with people that treat you horribly while other people stand around and cheer them on for doing it. We're losing cops. We're losing them. I just told you about cities all over the country, and thankfully, Phoenix isn't doing that. Chandler, 
I, I talked to Gilbert. I've talked to cops in the East Valley. Great rapport with the community. People want to be cops in those towns. The city of Phoenix finally, as a city council, made enough changes on the city council, but also has realized, and there's political differences. I'm not talking about everybody's on the same page politically, but they all understand. You you talk to the, the mayor of Phoenix, Mayor Gallego. Uh, the mayor and I have had disagreements on a number of things. Politically speaking, we don't agree on a lot of things. But I have been at many events with the Phoenix Police Department where she's been the keynote speaker and I've been the MC, And she's been an emphatic supporter of we're not defunding the cops in this town. The city council as a whole is pushing back, back at the Department of Justice and a d- consent decree. Realizing that they've hired a police chief in Chief Sullivan, the interim chief, that is an expert in making necessary changes and that the need for DOJ intervention and oversight from a private entity is expensive and unnecessary. And the city council, in spite of any pushback from other groups, has stood up and said, we're not entering into a consent decree. We think there are better options. So when we're going to be, and I am, critical of what people do when they do the wrong thing. We have to be complimentary when it's when it's it's also necessary. And in this case, the city of Phoenix standing up and saying we are going to do this because it's right for our city, they're gonna get they are taking political arrows. There's no doubt they're taking political arrows and yet they're doing the right thing. And we should stand beside them and say, good for you. That's exactly right. It's just the right thing to do. When you look at what's going on, they say Kansas City's called Kill a City. You know, they wear the moniker of the violence in that city as a badge of honor. Well, at some point, you got to turn that around and say, no, it's not going to happen here. All right. In a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. We call the segment. Did you hear this? So please stick around for it. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All the biggest news stories in one segment of the show, we call it, Did You Hear This? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Nikki Haley spoke to supporters in her home state of the South Carolina and what she called her state of the race and had a message for those calling for her to suspend her campaign to unify the party around Trump. ABC's Steve Portnoy reports. Speaking in Greenville in her native South Carolina, Nikki Haley says she'll stay in the race until the last person votes. I'm not going anywhere. Haley says Americans aren't exactly clamoring for the GOP nomination to be quickly sewn up. If I weren't in the race, we'd be reading the exact same storyline every day until November. Haley compares herself to David in a battle against Goliath. Does Nikki Haley run the risk of hurting her future political prospects if she stays in this primary too long? I don't think so. I think that people have short memories when it comes to stuff like this. It's hard to remember if you had to go down the list of candidates that have already been in this race uh, from the Republican side, you'd be hard pressed to name them all. I I think that uh, people have shorter memories. I think in the end, if uh, let's say Donald Trump becomes the nominee, if Nikki Haley becomes a supporter or at least, uh, you know, throws her support behind the former president, then it's just going to be all forgiven. And people will move on. I don't think that she's going to overstay her welcome. But I just think that, you know, whatever the decision is needs to be made quick, sooner rather than later on both sides to unify the parties moving into the general. 
In other presidential primary news, former President Donald Trump joined Fox News host Laura Ingram for a town hall, and he told the crowd about some of the names on a short list. Most notably, Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman from Hawaii who left the Democratic Party and became an independent. Various names came up. Um, uh, one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made in, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. What do you make of Tulsi Gabbard as a potential VP pick for I, Trump? I, I can't see that happening. I think uh, Scott might be a choice. I don't think that he's going to go with somebody that's an independent. Um, if he's going to go, I think if it's going to go down the road of somebody that's a qualified woman, uh, he might choose a governor, I think, that has been very supportive of him. But I don't think Tulsi Gabbard is going to get it. I don't know. Maybe the chase for independence is what that's going to be. That's going to look like. Uh, but I, I see him making a more safe choice within the party. But I wouldn't. I, I've been so wrong about him so many times, I guess anything's possible. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on the big headlines. Today in Los Angeles, the Biden administration announced another round of student loan debt relief. ABC's Karen Travers explains the details. Today, another 153,000 Americans will get word from the Biden administration that all or a portion of their student debt has been relieved. President Biden will speak on this topic in Los Angeles today. The administration says the total number of Americans approved for some kind of student debt relief is now nearly 3.9 million. Given that unilateral executive branch debt relief has been declared unconstitutional in the past, does Biden run the risk of appearing to be throwing a political Hail Mary to shore up support within his base? Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's a, uh, absolutely what it looks like. And I think that the bigger issue here is Americans are hurting across the board, small business owners, people struggling with credit card debt. And you're going to look at one segment of society and say, why are you going to forgive one debt and not forgive other debt? I think you, you do run a risk there of some kind of sibling rivalry rivalry within our society. So I, I don't know that this is a good idea, especially when you've already had a decision that says you can't do this unilaterally. You're setting yourself up for another fight. And I just, I don't know why they're doing it, but politics seems to be as good an answer as any. Megan McCain, who is set to join Outspoken later today, has some choice words for Senate hopeful Carrie Lake in an ex formerly Twitter post yesterday. McCain wrote that Lake was trying to walk back comments Lake made about her father, the late senator, during her failed gubernatorial campaign. And I think if John McCain, who had a great sense of humor, would have heard it, he would have laughed. Was Carrie Lake joking at the time she made these comments? And what do you think Megan McCain will have to say about Bruce, to Bruce and Gato later today? Um, I know Megan fairly well. Uh, I consider her a friend. She, we became friends when her father was ill, um, or closer than we knew each other. We became friends at that time. Um, I think that Carrie Lake is possibly right to this degree. John McCain didn't care about the politics of it. He didn't like Donald Trump. There's no doubt he didn't like Donald Trump, and Trump didn't like him. But he didn't take it personally, and he would kind of brush it off. But we all understand. If somebody says something about you, you take it and whatever. It doesn't matter in the long run. If somebody says something about a family member, then it is a big deal. And I think that's why Megan loved her father so much. He passed away, obviously, over four years ago. She still carries with him his memory, and she doesn't want anybody to diminish that memory. So I understand her anger on that part of it. As far as whether or not at the time do I think that Carrie Lake was joking, I don't think she was joking at the time. But I do think I'm going to give a little grace here and say I do think she looks back at that time and realizes it probably wasn't the right thing to say. So trying to walk it back in another any way she can to move past it is something she wants to do. And I'm as anxious as anybody else to hear Megan this afternoon.
Great job, Gray, as always. That is our intern, Gray. How much longer are you here? How long are you still going to be around? Um, I'll be with the show for a couple more weeks and then moving over to the digital side. That's uh, We're glad to have you. We really are. You guys, everybody that's over here from Cronkite does us proud. You do an excellent job. Thank you. Super Appreciate excited it. to be here. All right. So what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to shift to the economy. I talked about this earlier, housing prices and food prices and what people are looking at. And I have been focusing on what can be done locally. And I'm going to shift to local. We talked about federally what they're doing. What can government entities do locally locally to make it easier for you and for small businesses and big businesses, for that matter, to thrive in a time when the economy is tough? We'll talk about that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. So this song, she made me nervous. This song, when I moved here in 1995 to get to do rodeo, to be in the rodeo business, my roommate is one of the best bull riders and bullfighters, rodeo clowns, bullfighters I'd ever seen. This guy is still amazing. His son is a superstar in the business now. He's from Australia. So whenever we would go to rodeos, they introduced the bullfighters. They always play this stupid song. It's like the only song that Australia has ever created was this song. So I every time I hear this song, I think about my roommate. It's like they everywhere we went, the, they thought somehow they were being clever. They were the only ones that thought to play this song. I said, pick one, Midnight Oil. Do one by Midnight Oil, just once. That's an Australian group? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. I get men at work confused sometimes with... Uh, what's the group that said in a sung sung in a big country? Was it they called Big Country? Yeah, is that it? Big Country? Yeah, I always got confused. The, those two groups confused for some reason. Well, this one, this band, and Midnight Oil are the two Australian bands that everybody knows. Well, being an '80s guy, yeah, I, Australia to me meant 11:30 at night on ESPN. You got Australian Rules Football, yeah, absolutely. And that guy in the white the jacket white that, that would point did, with both would his fingers, his hands, yeah. Bad and you had no idea what had happened. I, and you know what? I didn't know any of the rules. Didn't know how they scored points. But I loved watching those games. Because it, it was live sports on it TV. Was, was absolutely. That was back in the infancy of ESPN when water polo was featured on ESPN. Remember They showed games? roller derby. They did. They showed roller derby. Yeah. I would wake up in the middle of the night and my brother Tom, who was a sports freak, would be watching a water polo match on ESPN. They, we used to gather at a little sports watering hole in Tempe on Saturday nights at 11.15 to watch Sweet Lou Palmer do baseball. Oh my gosh. And you remember at the infancy of ESPN when people in the industry laughed and said, oh, you're never going to get us all sports network. Are you crazy? There was a, a sports talk show host here in Phoenix that prior, about two years prior to the debut of ESPN said, one day they're going to try a 24-hour sports channel and it'll never work. Nobody will watch basketball at 3 in the morning. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> These are all the experts in the industry. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, that's our uh, Jeff and I walking down sports memory lane. <laughs> I enjoyed it, too. <laughs> Me, too. Me, too. Very much. Uh, we've got to talk about the economy before we go any further. This this is a conversation for me that matters more than anything else. I've been wrestling with somebody on Facebook about uh, the power of the presidency. And what I mean by that is this person despises Donald Trump. 
and he is the ruination of America, and he just doesn't have that kind of power. Neither does Joe Biden, and, and I like it that way. I, I don't like the policies of Joe Biden, and I, I'll be happy if he's not president again, but he doesn't affect my life in that way. I don't have personal animosity because he's not connected to me that closely. In front of me, I've got a bunch of things, and I want you to hear where, where I'm going with this. Florida and Texas rank as top destinations for re- relocated businesses. U.S. National Debt Tracker for February, t- February 20th, 2024, see what Americans, taxpayers really owe. Um, so about $1.2 billion a day we're borrowing is what it says here. A retired nurse faces difficult reality of returning back to work to make ends meet. Um, There is the Remington, the nation's oldest gun manufacturer, is leaving the state of New York. Uh, Biden has canceled $1.2 billion in student loan debt. California budget crisis worse than Newsom projected as state watchdog warns deficit could reach $73 billion in the state of California. Um, And then in a blue state in Colorado, they are cracking down on gas-powered lawn equipment. So, you know, the people that are cutting your lawns, who don't make a lot of money, by the way, they make a living, but they don't make a lot of money individually. They're going after them for their gas-powered lawnmowers and gas-powered weed eaters and gas-powered blowers because it's ruining the climate. So they're going to force all of those people to buy brand new equipment. So all of these things. My point is the policies that affect you, what's happening. The state of Arizona made a concerted effort, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this. I've done this before, but I, this history matters. When the economy went south, 07, 08, into 09, um, the U.S. economy was in a really bad place. And the Arizona economy was in a worse place than almost every place else in the country. And during that time, Jan Brewer was the secretary of state and became governor because our governor, Janet Napolitano, went on to be the Homeland Security secretary. And so Jan Brewer and the Arizona state legislature, Governor Brewer, were faced with horrible decisions on the Arizona economy trying to stop the bleeding. And they had to wrestle. There was, it was, there was a lot of bad blood at the time. There were a lot of decisions that had to be made, and nobody liked them. And there was a lot of political tension happening within the Republican Party because the Republican Party controlled the legislature and the governor's office. And they had to make some very difficult decisions to get us back financially stable. Not in a good place, just stable. And they did. And after Governor Brewer served out her two terms— Actually, like a term and a half. Um, Governor Ducey was elected and they made a decision. His administration made a decision in working with the legislatures that he worked with throughout his time in office that what was necessary for Arizona to survive and thrive was learning the lesson of the past was a diversification of our economy. They wanted to get the tax, the income tax, the state income tax as low or as close to zero as they could possibly get it. Zero if they could. For all the taxpayers in Arizona, they slammed and sliced over 3,000 regulations to make it easier for people to do business. And it wasn't just big business. It was everyday people like you and me, people with licenses to practice a certain trade or a skill that if you come to Arizona with a license in another state in good standing, you can do your work here with that license, like a driver's license, but you have a time frame in which you have to be licensed in Arizona, making it easier for people to do business. And it worked. 
Arizona has become an industry destination, the chip industry and other high-tech industries. We have shown a diverse economy in less than 10 years. Um, I would travel quite often for business when I was doing some of the national radio and TV stuff from Dallas because Glenn Beck uh, airs his program. He's based out of Las Colinas, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And when I would drive around in Texas, I always used to say, I love it here. It's beautiful. The difference between the Dallas area and the Phoenix area is there seems to be a bigger middle class in Dallas. There seems to be more people making that middle class money. There isn't the, the, the start. Now, there always is going to be the haves and the have nots, but there isn't this stark contrast between the two. Houses seem a bit nicer. Cars seem a bit newer. Restaurants seem a bit nicer. And that's changed. And what's changed about it is Arizona's catching up. Arizona is not where it needs to be. There's always issues. But Arizona has changed and is, has developed industry and brought higher paying jobs. We have growing pains because of the cost of housing, uh, because things are more expensive. They're more valuable. People have more money. But those policies, Florida, Texas, Nevada, Arizona, and you look at the places that are losing people. What are their local governments doing? $73 billion in debt in California, the oppressive taxes that they charge industry in California. They're running from that state. Same with New York. Remington, the oldest weapons man, firearms manufacturer in the entire nation, is leaving that state. You see this happening, and you have to understand why. And the reason why is businesses are like individuals. Why would I spend that kind of money when I can keep it? It's my money. I've earned it. And I think that that's why I'm so focused on local government. If you look at what the state of Arizona has done, Maricopa County, I I just talked with Clint Hickman, uh, who is not going to run for re-election on the Board of Supervisors. You know that they have kept flat or lowered the property taxes in in the valley. What that does for people that own properties, even when you rent, because the cost of what that home is goes into the factor of what the house is worth to rent. And if it costs them more money in property taxes, your rent goes up. Those are important distinctions. Those are important things for government entities to do. And those are the ones I think we need to pay attention to. I just think those are the valuable ones. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that happened last night in a moment. It was something that was life-changing for me, Um, not necessarily in a good way, but I'm glad that I did it. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a few minutes left in the show. I talked about this a couple of times, but I think it's fitting to close the show with this today. It's a a topic we've discussed before, and it is uh, the topic of Israel, the October 7th attacks, which we all knew were brutal. Um, And we had heard about, I think most of you have heard about it, but there was a video that was shown to members of Congress and members of governments across the world that are supporters of Israel. It was shown to military leaders. And it is a compilation of the attacks that day from different perspectives, from body cam videos and cell phone videos of the terrorists themselves, dash cam videos of victims, cell phone videos of victims, closed circuit television in people's homes that were victimized, street cameras, um, you know, traffic cameras. And it was an overview of the enormity of this attack. And here's the horrible part of this. I sat through 47 minutes of the most brutal attacks I've ever, the most human brutality I've ever seen in my life. 
And at the end of the 47 minutes, a graphic came up and said, you've just witnessed less than 10% of the people that were murdered on that day. It was um, um, shocking. The reason why I'm talking about it again is that Israel is talking about its its uh, invasion into Rafah. Um, the United Nations, Arab nations and the United Nations tried to order a ceasefire. The U.S. vetoed that. We have many people in this country, I think well-intentioned. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that they believe – that they're doing the right thing for peace in the world by calling for a ceasefire and they're calling uh, Israel occupiers and they are dramatically misinformed on this situation. And I don't know how you get them to see the reality. I think that if they're good people and they just believe they're doing the right thing, that if they saw the reality of what happened on October 7th and the sheer hatred and joy that these terrorists took in murdering people, um, I think they would change their tune. I, I believe that I believe that in that goodness in people. And I'm not, I know that's not true of everyone. But there are many well-intentioned people out there that are talking about free Palestine and all of these other things that are just misinformed. That they truly want what's best for the world and they want people to live in peace and harmony. Um, and when you see what happened on October 7th, when you see these young men... Um, roaming through neighborhoods with with rifles and just indiscriminately murdering every person they see and animals. There's a couple of things. I know there's a lot of animal lovers out there. One of this in a couple of these scenes, they would just dogs were coming out of the house like dogs do, and they just would shoot them down. Um, they called the people dogs, by the way. Throughout the video, they would talk about the dogs are dead. This dog is still alive. The dogs are dead. Kill this dog. Kill the dogs. Um so they don't even refer to these people as human beings. They, they, they refer to them as dogs, and they treated them. Um, it was just the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. But I think if the world were to see that the ideology of hate is alive and well, and I can tell you this to the Americans, they hate us just as much because we align ourselves with Israel. They hate the Western world, but they hate Americans. Now, do they have the capability of doing that here? I don't know that that's the case. But what they did on October 7th was a clear message. This was not about land. Israel's given up land. Israel pulled completely out in 2005 and gave Gaza over. They've gotten billions and billions of dollars to build what could be resorts. They have 25 miles of shoreline on the Mediterranean Sea. Gaza should be a resort town. They should have resort towns along that entire beach. This should be a thriving economy, and instead they live in abject poverty because the government, Hamas, takes that money and they build weapons with it. They build tunnels with it. That's just a fact. And when you see the people of Gaza celebrating Jews being brought into their towns as hostages and as, as and dead, dead people, the celebration of people, hundreds, thousands of people, has changed the way I see this. This push to end this evil empire, this evil uh, ideology that just hates so much that they take great joy in killing and mutilating the Israel Israelis. 
um, it has to end and Israel must defend itself. And we, if you have ever have an opportunity, and I hope they make it more public, to see this 47-minute video, it will turn your stomach, but it will change your life. And it did mine. Uh, it's something we're going to stay on as long as this conflict continues. We're out of time. Um, if you're a social media user, at Broomhead KTAR on X is my personal account, at Broomhead Show. Update you on the guests and the things we are doing on the show. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. It's how you keep in touch with me between shows. We'll be back again tomorrow just after 8 a.m. Until then, have a great day, everyone. God bless.